Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Who wants to be happier? This is an easy one. You can raise your hand. You can say me. All right. The answer to that question is everyone wants to be happier, right? And maybe for you, you say, okay, well, I want my spouse to be happier. Because if my spouse was happier, I would be happier. (laughs) Maybe it's if my kids were happier, if my friends were happier. But the answer to this question, who wants to be happier, is simply everyone. We all desire a level of happiness. In fact, here in this country, it is woven into an important piece of paper, the Declaration of Independence, what? That it's our right to pursue, what's the word? Happiness, right? That it's like, we actually put that in there, like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a right endowed on us by our Creator. So you and I, this is where we kind of meet together, and we would all say, you know what? I want to be happier. I know some people who need to be happier. Now, this won't come as a surprise to you. Uh, you're in a church this morning. Yeah? Easy one? I know it's, it's a bingo hall on Thursdays. It's a church for us right now. Hey, so let me put it this way. You're kind of in a, a religious context, so to say, or we're singing about God and, and Jesus and faith, and you're around maybe some people who are believers. Maybe you believe in Christ today. So here's the tension of where we are. Are we allowed to talk about this in church? happiness? Like, does God desire for me to be happiness? To be happy? Is happiness okay here? It makes sense maybe in other places, but here in church, should we be talking about this? And yet, we're going to talk about it for the rest of this month. Maybe if you're familiar with another Christian word that starts with the letter H, you may think, no, no, Pastor Keith, God doesn't want me to be happy. God wants me to be holy. And so we kind of have this tension in us. And if you're not familiar with that word, holy means set apart. It means living for the Lord. And we think, well, there's two sides to this. Either God wants me to be holy, and I'm a certain way, and I don't smile, and the joy of the Lord is my strength, and I say it like that. You're like, do you even know what joy is, dude? So it's either holy or I'm happy, and I'm having fun, and things are great, and I'm laughing, and this is awesome. So let me suggest to you, because I don't like either ors. If you know, I just don't. I want to figure out where's the both end here. Does Does this work? So here's what I would suggest. Holiness does not stand in opposition to happiness. Holiness, honoring the Lord with your life, living set apart from the patterns of this world does not stand in opposition to happiness. And if that's true, then there is a problem, but it's not that. I would like to suggest to you that the problem is we have the wrong definition for happiness. The problem is we're thinking too low on happy. Let me say it this way. We've adopted the world's definition of happiness. And so when we live out a worldly definition of happiness and we bring that to a holy God, we feel tense and uncomfortable and think there's no way holy God wants Keith to be happy. 
He just wants them to be holy. So throughout this month, what we are going to do is we are not going to rewrite the definition of happiness. We're simply going to read it, meaning we're just going to go to Scripture. We are going to read what God has to say about happiness because we all need a little retooling. It's a new year. Let's start off with a better definition for happiness. So first, what do we mean when we say, I want to be happy? He wants to be happy. I want them to be happy. So I'm going to give you three areas that I believe kind of give us this full idea of what we tend to mean when we say or hear someone say, I want to be happy. And the first is this. When we say, I want to be happy, we are thinking through a personal lens. We're thinking through my definition of happiness. If we took the time this morning to kind of go around and say, hey, Joe, what makes you happy? Hey, Joe, what makes you happy? Hey, Joe, what makes you happy? (laughs) We would find out that all three Joes, although they play on this team, and if you're wondering, is that a requirement? I guess so. (laughs) To be on the worship team. We would find out that yet there's different ideas of happiness. There's this personal idea. There's this personal definition of what it means to be happy. We tend to start there. So when I say I want to be happy, I'm talking about I, me, my definition of what it means to be happy. Now, here's where I go next. When I say I want to be happy, I go internal. I'm looking for a certain feeling. I'm chasing something. I'm pursuing something. I want to feel and experience something. We've all experienced happiness. You know the feeling. You've seen inside out. Yeah, joy, right? Like we, we know that. We know that feeling. We know what it's like. So when I say I want to be happy, I know exactly what I want to feel. And then the last place I go is external. So now I start looking at my circumstances, my bank account, my physical body, my friendships, my anything around me. And I say, if I am to be happy and I am to experience this feeling, then all of this needs to line up with what I want. Now, here's the tension with faith and Christianity. If that's your definition of happiness and that's your idea to say, this is what I desire— You bring that to a holy God, and God no longer becomes God. God becomes genie. And you bring to him, God, here's what I'm thinking. This is what I need to be happy. I need to experience this. I need this level of life. I need this quality. I need that person. I need this type of relationship. And we bring it all to him. And if he doesn't come through exactly how we are describing for him to come through, we conclude God must not want me to be happy. We bring that to him as if it's his fault. And he looks at us and says, I have a better definition of happiness for you. Trust me. Surrender. Depend on me. But we apply that. So if you believe that this morning, I'm not against you. God's not against you. Simply, you're selling yourself short of what he has for you. You're believing something false. You're like, you're settling. You're taking all of this and you're then maybe walking away from God, concluding he doesn't care. when he cares so much about you and loves you. So if this is your definition of happiness, you don't know the gospel. You, you just don't know the good news of God. 
but this morning you're going to hear his good news. Now, if this is what you're believing, what you may be putting your faith into in a religious sense is what's been known as the prosperity gospel. Has anyone ever heard that before, that term prosperity? A few, few people. Let me read you what historian Kate Bowler describes the prosperity gospel as, and then I'll, I'll share with you why I'm bringing this up. She writes, It promises a direct path to the good life. It is called by many names, but most often it's nicknamed the prosperity gospel for its bold central claim that God will give you your heart's desires. Money in the bank, a healthy body, a thriving family, and boundless happiness. It's kind of this idea that if I can just pray the prayer right or have enough faith or tap into something or, or sow a seed, then I can reap exactly what I desire. And if that sounds too good to be true, it's because it is. I mean, just experience life. You guys know what you just sang like five minutes ago? Were you paying attention? There's another in the fire? You're like, dang, I shouldn't have sang that song. Does that mean I have to go in the fire? You might. <laughs> you, like, you're gonna have trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Things will break around you. We are in between the already and the not yet of his kingdom. And there are moments where his kingdom breaks through and we see the miraculous and it's beautiful. And at the same time, we have a hope that one day all will be restored. But you're gonna go through the fire. You're going to walk through some stuff. And if your belief is in God exists to make me happy and answer my prayers the way I want them to, at some point, life is going to happen. And you're going to have a crisis of faith. And I'm just praying this morning that I could be like waving the flag to say, you're not believing the gospel. You're settling. Let me read you this. Albert Moeller writes, the prosperity theology is a false gospel. Paul uses that term in his writings, that it's a false gospel or a null gospel. It's no gospel at all. Its message is unbiblical. Its promises fail. God never assures his people of material abundance or physical health. Instead, Christians are promised riches of Christ. And do you know what happens? We are kind of not okay with the riches of Christ. <laughs> We're like, yeah, that's cool. Jesus died for me. That's nice. But what else? What else you got for me, God? I'm really trying to upgrade my car. I just want a bigger house. And he's like, I give you everything in Jesus. It is all there at the cross. And the gift of eternal life and the assurance of glory and the eternal presence of the living God. What's the point? Why do I bring this up? I bring it up because Scripture tells us that we need to be on guard against false teaching. And just like, if I'm your pastor, I just want to do that as we start this new year. Don't be like, you know, hashtag better me 2023. I'm finally going to get everything I want. And God's going to help me get it. And I'm going to pray and fast for 21 days. And at the end, I'll have the promotion. Then you get laid off at the end. And you're like, really? I gave up pizza for you. And this is the thanks I get. So like, lear learn the gospel, which you're going to discover this morning. A, a much better gospel, the truth that God is everything you need. And maybe there's tension because your definition is wrong, your belief is wrong, but what I want to do is I want us for the rest of our time together to simply discover what does God mean when he does say happiness? Because he says it. 
What does he mean when he says, you want to know what happy looks like? I'll show you what happy looks like. And with everything we read this morning, let me just kind of bring you in. It is going to sound wrong and off and countercultural and like nothing that we hear. And that's because it's so much better than what we normally hear. His ways are better. So if you are familiar with Jesus— then you might be familiar with one of his first and most famous sermons, which we have called Sermon on the— anyone know? The Mount. Good job. You guys passed Sunday school. Proud of you. And we simply call it that. Why? Because it says that he went up to a mountainside and he taught. So if he taught from the beach, we would be here saying Sermon on the Beach. Right? Just what it is. It was the location. Now, we kind of think this might have been his first big public sermon. Like him stepping out to the pages of history. We read last week about his temptation in the wilderness and his fasting and his baptism. And now he's going public. He's going to preach this. So when I read scripture, I like to imagine a little bit. Okay, I don't know if that fits your mold, but I just like to have fun. So I'm thinking before Jesus steps out, he's got his boys together, 12. It's like, all right, guys, sermon planning meeting. I'm going public. Ideas. What do we got? And Peter, because it's got to be Peter, raises his hand first to speak. Jesus, this is important. This is big. You've got to make a mark. So I'm thinking, hit him with heaven. Just go, go all in. They want money. Hit him with hell. Hit him with the marriage relationship. Give them something that they'll say, Jesus talked on that, and that was deep. And Jesus goes, all right, I'm thinking happiness. Jesus, that ain't deep. That's not going to do it. You want your first sermon to be on happiness? Yeah. Why? Because contrary to what you might believe this morning, God does in fact care about your happiness. I would suggest he cares so much about it that literally Jesus' opening statements on this sermon that we recall 2,000 years later, the subject matter was happiness. If you don't believe me, let's read it. Matthew 5, 3. First two words. Blessed are. Say that with me. Blessed. Now, if you were old school, you would have said, blessed are. Nobody said blessed. It's a blessed are. It just gets more powerful that way. You blessed are. Blessed are. Jesus' first words, and we'll read the rest in just a moment, but think about it as Jesus steps out onto the scenes of history and humanity. He begins by saying, blessed are. Now, When we read that today, again, we come in with our definition and our context, and we see the word blessed, and do you know what we think of in 2023? Hashtag blessed. If you're not a believer today, your mind goes to three words. Treat yourself. Oh, I'm blessed. Have you seen what I'm driving? Do you see what I'm wearing? I'm blessed. Look at what I'm eating. Look at where I'm going. And if you're a Christian, then the words you used are, I'm blessed beyond measure. I am pressed down, shaken together. I am running over. The Lord has added blessings to my life. Do a little dance like this when you walk. The anointing flows. Flick it. Don't do that. You just—we all go here, and we're like, oh, this is what it means to be blessed. This is what it means. Look, God wants me blessed. He wants me blessed. And yet, again, when you approach Scripture, you don't come in with you first. You let the Scripture speak to you. 
And you start asking the first question, what did this mean to the original audience when Jesus said it? I'm 2,000 years removed. Was he even speaking English? Did they have social media? No, no. It was Greek. And in the Greek language, they have more words that we translate into our singular English words. So next month, we're doing a series called Loves. Because there are four Greek words for the one word that we call love. We need to understand what God means each time it's used. So when Jesus says blessed, the Greek word that he uses is this word, makarios. Makarios, which means blessed, happy. Everyone say makarios. Look at you, it's 2023 and you already know Greek. You can, you can post about that. You learn Greek, makarios. Now, here's the thing. If you've ever used kind of Greek commentary, you need to understand this Greek word, that's a, that's a straight definition, but we need to go further. What's the context for makarios? When is makarios used? Who is it describing? And if you go to, I'll give you this great tool, biblehub.com. You can look up Greek words. You can find what that means. So if you were to just read after blessed, happy, it then gives you the usage, which says, here's where in scripture this is used. Lean in. Makarios describes a believer, that's the term used for those who put their faith in Jesus, in an enviable position, meaning others are looking on at that believer saying, what do you have that I don't? What do you know that I don't? An enviable position from receiving God's provision, which extend his grace, this happens with receiving faith. When Jesus says makarios, he's speaking of believers who have put their faith in him. Let me give you the, the layman's terms, or since I wrote it, the Keith's terms of makarios. Makarios has more to do with position than possessions. Makarios has more to do with who you are than what you have. When Jesus says makarios, and this is good news. You'll, you'll get it in about a minute. When Jesus says makarios, he's talking about your identity, your position secured for you by a loving God who sent his son to this world to pay the price for your sins. So, so watch this. In this world, we are told this will make you happy. Pursue happiness. Just try this. Experience that. And we get it, and it comes up short because we're looking for happiness horizontally. But the believer understands my happiness is not contingent on temporary things like circumstances. I could get sick. I'm still Makarios. I could lose my job. I'm still Makarios. My blessing and my happiness is connected to my position, which is secure in Jesus. That's the happiness that God wants you and I to understand. It is vertical, not horizontal. It's not personal, internal, external. It is his definition that makes an internal change in our spirit. And so we start seeing things differently around us. So it could still be the fire. It could still be broken. It could still be dysfunction. And yet I can still say I'm living a blessed life. I have happiness. This is an invitation. <laughs> I mean, maybe you made all these goals this year and these resolutions and I'm going to be new and I'm going to change it and go for it, do it. But the believer understands that even if none of that happens, my happiness is connected to my position because of Jesus. 
oh, God wants for you something permanent, way better than something temporary. Come on, he's got something more. So what is it then? What does it look like? Well, we're going to read Jesus' eight statements, his eight beatitudes, blessed are. But remember, the word is happy people are. Which people? Believers. You are invited to know him today. So just lean in. Listen to what he has for you. He starts like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. I think Jesus is one of the most creative communicators ever. And I don't think he accidentally chose his opening line. He uses a word that hurts. Poor. Poor. Blessed people aren't poor, Jesus. You got the word wrong. Blessed people have abundance. They have more. They're not poor. And he goes, no, no. And he's not talking about your bank account. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what this means? Happy people are spiritually bankrupt. Watch this. And this is why it means that you're happy. Happy people understand that I can't earn God's favor I don't deserve his grace on my best day. I'm still not deserving of his forgiveness. And yet he loves me. And yet Jesus pays the price so that I can be forgiven and an adopted child of God. See, happy people aren't trying to impress God with righteousness or religion. Happy people are resting in the perfect work of Jesus. They're showing up and saying, God, you've already done everything I need for you to do for me. I'm spiritually poor on my own, but Jesus has done it all. Maybe you're not happy because for you, even this church is just a checklist on a religion. You say, well, I went to church. I hope God loves me more. He doesn't. This doesn't impress him. And that's good news. He's impressed by his son, Jesus, who did it all on your behalf. So now this we do out of thanksgiving and gratitude. I don't show up on Sunday hoping to get a little more Jesus juice that he'll love me and I'll walk in his favor. No, he's already done it. I'm showing up simply to say two words. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for everything you've done. He goes on. He says this, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. I don't know. You think what I think. Jesus, crying is not happy. You are confused, sir. I know people who cry. They're not happy people. He doesn't say cry. He says mourn. And again, we need to understand the context of the word mourn. That word mourning is not simply weeping. It is directly connected to repentance over sin. Happy people are broken over sinfulness. Happy people say this sin cannot remain. Let me make this very practical. You'll understand why Jesus is right. How happy are you when you are attempting to hide your sin? Not very happy. Can I make it a little more real and uncomfortable? I'm going to even if you don't want me to. How come your spouse can't look at your phone anytime she wants to? How come when your boss walks in the room, you quickly have to hide your social media scrolling, whatever you weren't supposed to be doing on company time? Because hiding your sin is not happy. 
You understand this, and so does Jesus. So Jesus says, rather than hide your sin and live in shame and guilt, mourn over your sin. In other words, confess your sin, bring it into the light, not for condemnation, but for comfort. Because we have a God who doesn't condemn us, but a God who forgives us and comforts us. Some of you are so unhappy because you're living your own way in your sin and you're wondering why I'm supposed to be happy living this way, but you have to hide it. And you're hiding it from family and friends and you think you're hiding it from God. And he's saying, oh, if you would just bring it into the light, you would be happy. Happy people know this. That's why we say at Blaze Church, find freedom. We got to find freedom. He goes on and says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Have you ever met someone who lives as if the world revolves around them? Some of you live with that person. I'm sorry. They're not happy, and you're not happy living with them. When we live as if the world revolves around us, we're not happy trying to make sure, did they text me back? Did they respond to this? Are they showing up for that? Is that person pleasing me? You're sucking all of the energy, the life, the joy right out of the room. So Jesus says that's not a happy way to live. Happy people don't make the world revolve around them. Happy people go low. Happy people are humble. Happy people are gentle. Happy people say you're first. I'm second. And look at how cool Jesus is. He says, when you live that way, you will, in fact, inherit the earth. Like, stop trying to make the world revolve around you and instead serve somebody and you will actually inherit the earth. He says next, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. The right to pursue happiness. Do you know what that is? The pursuit of happiness exactly what it says, a pursuit. It's a chasing. It's a longing. It's a desiring. And you know what? If you've ever tried to pursue happiness before, you've probably found this to be true. You finally get it, and it's not enough. And so you're told, oh, oh you just got to get the upgrade. Yeah, of course that marriage didn't work out. They weren't right for you. Of course that wasn't the right job. You have to find yourself. Of course, just try this, buy that, go there. And you're pursuing happiness. And the prophet Jeremiah says that God told him, it's as if my people have given up a spring of living water and instead they have buckets with holes in the bottom. And they're wondering why they're thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what does Jesus say? Happy people, they don't thirst for their own way. They thirst for God's way. That's what righteousness is. God's way. And when you live that way, you're happy and you're filled. Since being here at Blaze Church, I have yet to meet somebody who says, Pastor Keith, I got to talk to you. Come here right now. I'm a little angry. What's going on? Well, I joined a small group and I am so unhappy. These people keep checking in on me. They're praying with me. We're doing stuff together. We're sharing. I'm so unhappy. I should have never done that. I haven't heard that. Pastor Keith, I joined the dream team. I got me a bag. I got a shirt. I'm serving people. I'm making a difference. And I've never been more unhappy. I haven't heard that. Pastor Keith, started trusting God with my money. In fact, this year, I decided the first 10% is going back to him. I'm giving away more than I've ever given before. And I've never been so unhappy. 
Never heard it. Why? Because if you want to experience happiness, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. God's way. And everything I just said, God wants you in biblical community, small groups. God wants you serving others, making a difference. God wants you trusting him with your finances. It's God's ways. And when you live that way, trust me, you will see you're filled. You're satisfied. You're saying it shouldn't make sense. No, but nothing about God's kingdom does. It's upside down. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I haven't met someone who is happy and bitter, happy and unforgiving, happy and resentful. If you have somehow adopted karma as your belief system, and you're just not forgiving that person because, well, they deserve it. And karma says, what comes around goes around, and I'm going to be mean to them. I just want you to know, you want that to be your belief system? Play that out with God. You want him to adopt karma? Because I don't. Can I use this word? Do you know what that ends up for all of us? If God acts on the same karma that many of us act on, we all end up damned. That word truly means eternally separated from him. Because if you want to give that person what they deserve, and then you're saying, God, this is just what they deserve. And God, you want me to give you what you deserve? Or do you want the gospel that is a gospel of grace and forgiveness? If you're saying, yeah, but they don't deserve for me to forgive them. Exactly. Mercy. Mercy by definition is you don't deserve it, and yet I'm going to give it anyway. You're not happy until you decide to extend forgiveness to others like God has extended forgiveness to you. And I'm just trying to show you the words of Jesus as we start this year for you to say, maybe God does want me happy, but maybe his idea of happiness is better than I thought. A few more. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Purity isn't promoted. Purity isn't something that we hold in high esteem in our culture. It may be the opposite, that we celebrate impurity. We celebrate when make our own decisions, go our own way. And yet, if you follow that trail, what's the end result? Messiness, destruction, dysfunction. And we wonder why, and we say things like, I don't know, I just couldn't see clearly. I thought he was better than that. And your friends are like, we told you he wasn't. Yeah, but I couldn't see clearly. Because you were following a path of impurity. But those who are pure in heart, they see clearly. They see God. So maybe it is that right now your life in this mess simply because you're living impure. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Troublemakers aren't happy. You're showing up to work and just saying, oh, I'm going to gossip about this person, slander, tear that person down. You're not happy. You're causing trouble. You're causing strife. You don't like to be around those people. So Jesus says, Troublemakers aren't happy. Peacemakers are. What if, just try this. What do you have to lose? Trouble's not working for you anyway. What if this week you just decide, you know what? Everywhere I go, I'm going to bring peace to the environment. I'm going to bring it at my job. I'm going to bring it at my home. I'm going to bring it on the road. I'm going to bring it in the supermarkets. Everywhere I go, because I'm choosing to be Macarios, I have a happy position as a believer. When I step foot there, peace is going to be there. I'm going to try to bring people together. Just, just bring some joy in. Bring some laughter. It's 21 days of prayer and fasting. Bring them some water with lemon in it. 
spice things up today. We're going to drop some limes, strawberries, mint. Just bring some joy. Bring a little peace. Some of you are like, wow, I just got breakfast, lunch, and dinner taken care of. Thank you. Bring some peace where you go. Jesus says, those people are happy. And here's the last one. Makes no sense. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In this life, you are going to experience persecution and suffering. It is inevitable. It's just the reality. It doesn't mean God's not good or God's not real. It simply means we are reminded that the best is yet to come. That's what it means. That there is dysfunction and there is persecution. But look, happy people are persecuted because they did the right thing. Pastor Andy Stanley says this, you are going to suffer in this life for doing right or for doing wrong. You can be happy on one side of that equation, but not the other. So if you're going to suffer, and I'm going to suffer anyway, suffer for the Lord. Suffer for following Him, because on that side, there's happiness. Now, I know this was a lot, and so I want to give you a summary. Here's what happy people are. And you can write this down, take a picture, whatever you want to do. Happy people are spiritually bankrupt. They're repentant. They're humble. Satisfied. Merciful. They, they live a pure life. They're peacemakers, not troublemakers. And they're suffering for good. A little different than maybe what we think when we say, I want to be happy. Maybe happiness doesn't stand in opposition to holiness. Maybe it's simply that God has a better way for our lives. Now, I, I need to give you a little, little warning. This is not a to-do list. This is not a checklist. You don't put this down and put little boxes next to it and figure out every day if you hit all eight of these to show that somehow you're a Christian. If you want that, we don't preach that at Blaze Church. That's religion that says you do. This is a reminder of what's been done for us. How? Well, wasn't Jesus made poor so that we might be made rich in him? Scripture says, didn't Jesus mourn over Jerusalem as he looks out and sees the sin of humanity? Didn't Jesus humble himself to death on the cross? Wasn't Jesus the one who cried out, Father, I thirst? And yet he was satisfied for doing right? Wasn't Jesus the one who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and showed mercy to even the ones who crucified him? Wasn't it Jesus who lived a pure life, who never sinned and yet died a criminal's death? Didn't Jesus show up and we read in Scripture that he came to be a reconciler between us and a holy God to bring us together and give us a peace beyond understanding? And clearly, didn't Jesus suffer for good? Before we say, this is what I have to do, we say, this is who I am because of what Jesus did for me. And that's the liberating good news of the gospel. Today, the gospel that you and I need to hear is that in ourselves, we are spiritually bankrupt. And yet God sends his son to this world so that we might be rich in him. Forgiven, made new, changed, adopted children of God. And now, this is how we get to live. So try it this week. Be Macarios. Be Macarios.
and see if God doesn't use you in a bigger way. Throughout the next few weeks, we're going to discover more of what it means to be happy. But I want to pray for you now that these words would be sealed in our hearts and that we would live them out. So would you bow your heads and open your hands before him one more time. Father, we thank you for your words that are life, your words that are true, your words that remind us of who we are because of who Jesus is. And I thank you that your way of happiness is so much greater than anything this world offers us. And that we desire what you have for us. I pray that Blaze Church would be filled with happy people. Makarios. Those that know they have been loved and accepted by God and are living different. Thank you for the words of Jesus. As we're praying, maybe today you do not know him as your Savior. You've never called on his name. You've never said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. And there's something stirring in you now. You're, you're kind of leaning in on the edge of your seat saying, I want the happiness that's found in Jesus. And I don't want this moment or this day to go by without you having an opportunity to call on his name, to say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins and make me new. And if that is your desire right now in this moment, you're saying, I want to be saved. I want to know the happiness that is found in Jesus. Call on his name. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. I'm turning to you. And I'm receiving your salvation today. Scripture says all who call on his name will be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's say amen together. Amen. amen.